Well, earlier in the year, we were joined by the laureate for Irish fiction, novelist, short story writer and poet Colm Tobin. Let's hear now Colm read the Christmas scene from his novel, Brooklyn. This is Brooklyn in 1951 and Edith Lacey is having her first Christmas away from home and the priest in Brooklyn, Father Flood, has invited all the people in the area who have nowhere else to go. A lot of them are men and a lot of them are emigrants and they're invited to the parish hall for Christmas Day. As soon as 10 o'clock mass was over, people began to call by. Father Flood had filled one of the tables with glasses and bottles of lemonade and sweets for the children. He made everyone who came in, including women with fresh hairdos, put on a paper hat. Thus, as the men began to arrive to spend all of Christmas Day in the hall, they were barely noticed among the crowd. It was only later after midday, when the visitors began to disperse, that they could be seen clearly, some of them sitting alone with a bottle of stout in front of them, others huddled in groups, many of them stubbornly still wearing cloth caps instead of paper hats. By the time they were removing the trifle dishes, the hall was a mass of smoke and animated talk. Men sat in groups with one or two standing behind them, Others moved from group to group, some with bottles of whisky in brown paper bags that they passed around. When all the clearing of the kitchen and the filling of garbage cans had been completed, Father Flood suggested that they go into the hall and join the men for a drink. Some visitors had arrived, including a few women, and Eilish thought as she sat down with a glass of sherry in her hand that it could have been a parish hall anywhere in Ireland on the night of a concert or a wedding when the young people were all elsewhere dancing or standing at the bar. After a while, Eilish noticed that two men had taken out fiddles and another a small accordion. They'd found a corner and were playing as a few others stood around and listened. After a while, Father Flood clapped his hands and called for silence. But it took a few minutes before he could get everyone's attention. I don't want to interrupt the proceedings, he said, but we'd like to thank a nice girl from Enniscorthy and two nice women from Arklow for their hard day's work. There was a round of applause. As a way of thanking them, there's one great singer in this hall and were delighted to see him this year again. He pointed to the man whom Ailish had earlier mistaken for her father. He was sitting away from Ailish and Father Flood, but he stood up when his name was called and walked quietly towards them. He stood with his back to the wall so that everyone could see him. The man's voice was loud and strong and nasal. The Irish he sang in, she thought, must be Connemara Irish, because she remembered one teacher from Galway in the Mercy Convent who had that accent. He pronounced each word carefully and slowly, building up a wildness, a ferocity in the way he treated the melody. It was only when he came to the chorus, however, that she understood the words. And he glanced at her proudly, almost possessively, as he sang these lines. All the people in the hall watched him silently. There were five or six verses. He sang the words out with pure innocence and charm, so that at times when he closed his eyes, leaning his large frame against the wall, he did not seem like an old man at all. The strength of his voice and the confidence of his performance had taken over. As the night wore on, some of the men fell asleep or had to be helped to the toilet. The two Miss Murphys made pots of tea and there was Christmas cake. Once the singing ended, some of the men found their coats and came up to thank Father Flood and the Miss Murphys and Ailish, wishing them a happy Christmas before setting out into the night. Ailish shook hands with the two Miss Murphys and with Father Flood, before she set out to walk through the dark, empty streets of Brooklyn. She would, she thought, go straight to her room and avoid the kitchen. She wanted to lie on the bed and go over everything that had happened before falling asleep.
Let's hear again now from the laureate for Irish fiction, Colm Tobin, as he reads a scene from Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I think at Christmas we have all the usual suspects and we have the traditional food. But one thing that's out there too is the ghost of Mr Scrooge, Charles Dickens' great invention in A Christmas Carol. So this is just a small scene from A Christmas Carol where Mr Scrooge refuses to enter into the Christmas spirit. At this festive season of the year, Mr Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down his pen again. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge, are they still in operation? They are still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour then, said Scrooge. Both very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course, said Scrooge. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, returned the gentleman, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, said Scrooge, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, observed the gentleman. It is not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labours with an improved opinion of himself and in a more facetious temper than was usual with him.